0: I don't know why people spend so much time in the end time trying to answer questions you can't answer. You see, my focus is not to spend my time in eschatology because no one has seemingly got eschatology right yet. There are a lot of theories and a lot of belief systems that are out there. What's important, brothers and sisters, for us is that we live righteous and holy today. That you focus on your walk today. Because if you focus on your walk today and keep your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, whatever you need to do, he will instruct you to do it. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Sarah died at 127 years old. This would have made Isaac around 36 years old when his mother died since she gave birth to him when she was 91. Abraham was not only a righteous man, but he was also a righteous businessman. When he was negotiating for a cave and land to bury Sarah, Abraham wanted possession, control of the cave, and the piece of land. Abraham did not want to use the cave. He wanted to own the cave and was willing to pay whatever price the cave was worth. He did not want to be in debt to anyone or owe any man anything. This reasoning caused him to refuse to take a gift from the Hittites. Today's study title is Taking Possession of the Land. So, let's study. I said today we are in Genesis chapter 23. We're going to go through each verse and just expound on each of those verses. And the title, as I stated tonight, is Taking Possession of the Land. In Genesis chapter 23, verse 1, it reads, And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. Basically, Sarah was 127 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah lived to be 127 years old. Now, what's interesting is that this would have made Isaac 36 years old. Sarah was 90 years old when father visited her and told her or told Abraham, and this is when, you know, she laughed. This was while the angels were on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to address the issues there to see if the things that had come up to heaven, the abomination that was taking place was real. And so the angels stopped by Sarah or stopped by Abraham's house and began to share with him what was going to happen and then revealed to him what was going to happen in Sodom And so a year later, the Bible tells us that the angel or Jehovah visited Sarah and the thing that he had promised took place. So this would have been at the time when Sarah was about 91. Abraham, we know, had accepted the promise that father had revealed to him. He believed the Almighty. It was attributed unto him as righteousness. And now Sarah is Actually, she's transitioning on in the 23rd chapter of Genesis. And as I stated, this would make Isaac about 36 years old at this time. In verse 2, the Bible says, And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, and the same as Hebron. Now, at the end of our teaching, I'm going to show you some images of this particular area. And we see that this is in the land of Canaan. Hebron is in the land of Canaan. And this particular area today is being controlled by Palestinians, which means that it is a Muslim dominated and controlled area. In fact, you will find that most of the holy sites or the sites in Israel that have historical connections are primarily controlled by the, the Palestinians. And in many of these places, you'll have a Islamic mosque or a Greek Orthodox church or Catholic church because it is controlled either by the Catholics, the Greeks, or the Muslims. Israel have very little control of any of the holy sites in the land. And so Sarah died. And Abram came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And in verse three, the Bible says, and Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoken to the sons of Heth. So the image is, is that Sarah dies. And now Abraham is faced with the idea that he has no place to bury his wife. So now he goes to the sons of Heth. The sons of Heth were the descendants of Canaan's second-born son and the progenitors of what we know in the Bible as the Hittites. And so Abraham identifies himself as a stranger and a sojourner in the land that he was promised by Jehovah. And the point that is going to be made here is that Father promises Abraham this land. He says, Abraham, this land, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, and I'm going to give it to your descendants. In verse four, he says, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. And this word give, and this is why it's important to have Bible tools so you can search out words because Abraham is not asking them to give him this land. In essence, When you begin to look at the right definition or the right word to insert in this particular passage, you can look at what Abraham is saying. He says, give or sell me. This is what it's going to boil down to, which explains why the conversation goes in the way it goes. He says, give or sell me a possession a possession. And so he's not saying, you know, give me your possession. He's saying, sell me something that I now can possess. That is mine. You see, he's wanting them to sell him land in their land. (laughs) Now, what's interesting here is that father said, I'm giving you all this land, which makes me wonder because There are times when Father says, I'm going to give you something, but he's going to give you the resources in order to acquire it. I know when I was in the church, we, especially the Pentecostal church, we used to lay hands on other people's possession and lay claim. You know, I just claimed this car, or I claimed this house, or I claimed this business. And then there's the other side where people would get, Happy because they applied for a loan to buy a piece of property and say, Jehovah God, whatever, has blessed me with this land, but now they have debt. Now, the Bible is clear when it says that a debtor. A borrower is a slave to the lender. In essence, when a person makes the statement that father blessed them with a the house, but yet they are in debt, one has to question, is this father's doing or is it your doing? I'm of the opinion that when father blesses you with something, the Bible says that he is the one who make it rich, and he adds no sorrow. And so if he blesses you with something, then you shouldn't have an issue having to make those payments. <laughs> you shouldn't have an issue. If he blessed you with it, how can somebody repossess it? And you're going to see this taking place because Abraham is is about to do what He's known for, but we may not necessarily recognize him for. Abraham is a very astute businessman, and if you look at his track record, he's been negotiating from the time he left Ur of the Chaldeans. And one of the first negotiating practices was with he and his wife. He says, Sarah, we're about to leave this area, and where we go, you need to say. That you are my sister, lest the men who are wicked in those communities kill me <laughs> and take you for a possession. If you say you are my sister, they won't kill me. And the Bible tells us that this is something that Abraham instituted before he left Ur. Now he comes into Haran. And there he accumulates souls, he leaves Haran and he comes into the land of Canaan, finds his way up into egypt and now Sarah is in Pharaoh's house. <laughs> Father visits Pharaoh, threatens Pharaoh, Pharaoh returns the man his wife, and then make Abraham rich. <laughs> So he comes out of the land of Pharaoh into the land of Canaan. And now Sarah is in Abimelech's house. Father visits Abimelech, threatens him, tells him this man is a prophet <laughs> and he's going to pray for you. And if you touch the man's wife, you are a dead man. And now Abimelech seems to bestow all of this wealth on Abraham. But prior to that, Abraham goes and defeats these kings who come into the land to pillage, and they end up taking Lot. Abraham goes and restore or take possession of Lot and all the people, and the king of Sodom comes to Abraham to negotiate for the people, and Abraham says, listen, I'm not taking anything from you, not even one shoelace, because no man is going to say they made Abraham rich. Abraham trusted the Almighty. And so now, everything that Abraham has, and he has great wealth, he is now about to begin to take possession of the land that Father swore he would give him. But his possession of the land, Abraham initiates possessing the land how? By paying for it, as we're going to see here. This word, give, In this particular place, verse 23, and this is why it's important to have some kind of concordance, some kind of lexicon, something that you can look up Hebrew words and you're not at the mercy of your translation. This is one of the reasons why I encourage people, if you're going to study the Bible, study with the King James Bible. You can read a variety of versions of the Bible, but the Strong's Concordance, most lexicons are geared to the King James and the Strong's numbering system that you can now look up every word and not, again, be at the mercy of the translators. And so this word give have several words associations. The word in the Hebrew is nathan, nathan. And if you'll notice, I got some of the words that is associated with this Hebrew word as pay wages, sale, exchange. And we're going to see that there is an exchange. There is a sale and Abraham is going to pay. Now, there are other words here to give. See, if somebody gives you something, they can come back and lay claims on it. You know, you've heard the term and I know that Native Americans don't like this term, so I use it very sparingly, Indian giver. You give something to somebody, and now they, they're not pleased with it, and so they want to take it back. Here, Abraham is communicating with the Hittite, particularly Ephron, as you're going to see here in a moment, and he's negotiating because they're trying to give it to him, but he says no. I don't want you to give it to me. I want you to sell it to me. And this is how we're able to put the right word in the context of this particular passage so that one is not misled. The Hittites offered Abraham their choice sepulchres. But what that meant, this is my translating and understanding, what that meant was that Abraham's dead would be buried amongst the Hittites dead. And Abraham would have no control over who was buried amongst his dead if he did not own the land. Now imagine, you know, they say, hey, you could bury your dead in my land. And then they turn around and sell the land to somebody else. And the people they sell the land to put up no trespassing signs. And if you are the type of people who like to, from time to time, visit your dead, and I know there are people out there who like, who do that, they go and visit the dead, then imagine you wanting to visit your dead and you're not allowed to because somebody else is laying claim to the land that your folks are are buried on. And so Abraham is saying, no, he don't want to do that. In verse 5, And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince. Now, what's interesting is that thou art a mighty prince. That word mighty there, if you look it up, is Elohim. (laughs) It's the word Elohim. And and this prince is nobility. So he's saying "You you are mighty. You are a mighty one amongst us. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury. Now notice what he said. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury your dead. None of us shall withhold from you his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. Now again, Abraham is prudent. He's shrewd, but he also realized that he's a stranger in the land. So his approach And Abraham is allowed to do things that we today aren't allowed to do. As a matter of fact, there are specific commands that prohibit. Abraham was not only a righteous man, but he was also a righteous businessman. And there should be two S's there. And as a businessman, I believe, no, it's it's right. As a businessman, He did not want someone giving him something or allowing him to use the land. If you let me use your lawnmower and I return it to you and the thing don't work anymore, that's an issue. If you let me use your car and for some reason it stopped working in my possession, then you're looking to me for restitution. But if you sell me the car, I'm able to do with it whatever I want to, and you are no longer associated with it because it's what? It's mine. Abraham wanted complete control or possession of the land. In verse 7, and Abraham stood up, and this is where, and bowed himself to the people of the land. And Moses even went as far as, translate even, to the children of Heth. Now, Abraham is bowing to the Hittites. Now, the word Hittite is going to show up later on in this passage, but you know that as we get into Exodus, that father wants the children of Israel to dispossess the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amalekites, the Ammonites, and all the other descendants of the Canaanites. And he communed with them saying, if, and that word there is communicated, he communed with them saying, if it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, listen to me, entreat for me to Ephron. So here is, Abraham has got his eye on a particular cave. He's even done the research as to who own the land that the cave is on. They're offering him, Said, listen, man, we've got some choice sepulchres, bury your dead in any one of them. But Abraham has got his eyes on a particular piece of land, a particular cave. And he says, hear me, entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zoar. <laughs> so again, he's done his homework. He know who owned the land. And he, he wants these individuals that he's asking them to go to talk to Ephron, the owner of the land, and have him sell me that cave. Abraham did not want to use the cave. He wanted to own the cave as his own possession and was willing to pay whatever price the cave was worth. Remember when Father said to Abraham, Abraham, all this land I'm going to give you. And Abraham said, "What for what? What's the good of having all this stuff? I don't even have a son. And everything I own is going to be left to this servant. So Abraham was ready to leave everything he owned to the one who served him. See, so it gives me the impression because of Abraham's wealth that and especially at this particular time, because, you know, when people are mourning their dead, when they're mourning their loss, they're in a place to where you can really, if you wanted to, take advantage of them. People are fragile when they're in the, in that place. And this is one of the reasons why I say, and I'm not coming after, after you or or you people who are in the funeral business. <laughs> But you'll you'll find that these morticians, these funeral home people, always trying to upsell families who are grieving and mourning. They are not trying to give them the basic package. They're trying to take them, you know, into the other room. (laughs) Yeah, don't let them know you got issues. If you got insurance, burial insurance, they want all of it. (laughs) Verse nine, and he says, "Entreat for me Ephron the son of Zohar that he may give me." And again, that word "give" there is not give it for nothing. The cave of Machpelah, which he had, which is in the end of his field. So again, he's identified the area that he wanted, know who owns it, and say, for as much money as it is worth. What is he saying? I'm willing to pay for what is worth. He shall give it for me or give it me for possession. Now, again, look at the context. The previous context is give, give, give. But in the conversation, Abraham now is drilling down that he may give me the cave for as much money as it is worth. So his intent is I'm not asking you to give me something, I'm asking you to sell it to me. Now they were willing to let him use it, they were willing to let him have it. The problem with not. Owning is you have no control. You have no control. Believers, when it comes down to possessing, the whole idea of possessing is to take control. I remember the first time we looked at some property back in Michigan to do ministry. And the landlord, because of the condition of the property, Said he would let me have the property for use if I would get the property and work in working order. We brought in the resources, we cleaned the property out, we did remodeling, and everything that we did that upped the value of the property, the landlord is looking at it. And at some point, and I knew it was coming. Now he wants to rent the property to us, and he wants to rent the property to us for more than what the property was worth. So here we are in a place where we've put this money, put this resource in the property, and you're asking top dollar for something that was a dump. So now we've made the investment into your property for you, and you want to capitalize on the investment we've already made. (laughs) Isn't this the way it is in, in rentals? It's like, okay, if you go in and now after a year, after two years or whatever, they want to up the price. It's like, you know, there's been wear and tear on this property. You haven't changed the carpet. You haven't painted it. And if you've been in there for 20 years and the price keeps going up, the actual condition of the property keeps going down unless you are doing the fixes and the upkeeps and whatever the case may be. And the the value of it keeps going up. So what is happening? As a renter, you're paying somebody else's property. Believers, and this is me, I don't feel that we should be renting. Again, that's my philosophy, and I'm not trying to put my philosophy on anybody else, but any of you who've rented, you know you can expect there's going to be an increase, if not this year, next year. And the value of the property, you have absolutely, you know, how the property appreciate, but you don't get any of that appreciation. And when you leave, you take nothing with you. (laughs) You just, anyway, again, that word give is the same word. In this case, Nathan, and it's, uh, he's asking him to sell the gate of the city is where business took place for it was a place where men of authority gathered and witnessed to transactions were available amongst the prominent people of the city in verse number 10, and Ephraim dwelt among the children of Heth and Ephron, the Hittite. Why? Because he was a descendant of Heth and Heth uh, descendants were the Hittites. So Ephron is dwelling among the children of Heth. The Hittites answered Abram in the audience of the children of Heth. So The gate of the city is where the transactions and the men of statue gathered and there was witnesses there. And so Ephron, the Hittite, answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of his city, saying. So now Abraham has a audience and he's saying because Ephraim did not want to give Abraham a cave in the field. He offered Abraham the whole field in the presence of the sons of his people. Now, there is some historical data that states, for instance, when we were on Hill Road, when we rented that property over on Hill Road, in the negotiation process of dealing with the landlord, based on the experiences that I'd had in other places, because We were renting in a spot when we first came here over off of Tivola, and they gave us 30 days to move because they wanted the space back. So now we're in a frenzy. Father leads leads me to Hill Road. And during the negotiation process, instead of doing the actual one-year lease, I negotiated for three years. And so we had a three-year contract on a piece of property that was adjourning another piece of property that the landlord was selling or was going to lease out to another group of people. So not only did we lease the property for three years, but we had rights to speak into what kind of business could go in the property next door to us. And in our contract, whoever went in the building next door to us could not use the space, the parking space on Shabbat and on Thursday. So whatever business was in there had to now move its vehicles and not permit vehicles to be parked in the space because we not only negotiated first rights of refusal, but we now before the landlord could actually lease his property, He had to get our permission (laughs) as to what kind of business could go in there. And it had to be not something that would be incompatible to what we were doing. Now, in order for us to secure that, we had to take on all the responsibility of that particular building, everything that was Outside the building, the landlord was responsible for. Everything on the inside of the building, we were responsible for. So if the indoor unit and the air conditioner went out, we had to deal with it. If there was anything going on inside the facility, we had to take care of it. And in that, we also, it was incorporated that the taxes was incorporated And we had all the responsibility of the building. There's some information that I looked at that part of one of the reasons why Ephron did not want to just let him use the cave is because he was still responsible for the property. You see, now it's a similar situation when we leased our house. We had to take care of all the property. We were responsible for the land. We were responsible for the uh, mowing the grass. We were responsible if the heating units went out, we were responsible for that. We were responsible for the roof. We had to get insurance on it. We were responsible for the entire property. And the landlord had absolutely no responsibility other than collecting (laughs) money. And I didn't have a problem with that because we entered into a lease to own, you see. But the point is, is that there are some situations to where the landlord is still responsible for some things. And the way he negotiated it and the way we negotiated it is that we would... So the landlord can even come on our property without contacting us and getting permission because even though it was his property... We were totally responsible for it. And I'm saying that because in this particular case, it seems as if the way the negotiation is going, that uh, Ephraim is trying to get rid of the whole thing. Verse 11, Nay, my Lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein, I give it to thee. In the presence of the sons of my people, give it I thee. Bury your dead. For whatever reason, Abraham was adamant about ownership, not usage. And I can imagine it's like, okay, if I bury my dad in here and my experience with all the places that I've went to, Abraham had a trust issue. Abraham had a trust. Abraham felt, I believe, based on his own testimonies, that the places that he went in, he believed that the people were wicked even to the point to where they would destroy him, kill him, and take his wife. So he he's already demonstrated he's got an issue with trusting people. He continued to persuade a sale and exchange of funds for complete ownership of the cave. And so Abraham bowed down again. Here he's bowing himself before the people of the land. And notice Abraham is negotiating in the presence of the people. Abraham seemed to have a trust issue, as I said. For whatever reason, he believed wherever he went, the people were wicked. And here's some demonstrations. He had made a pact with Sarah to say she was his sister wherever they went. He believed the people where he went would kill him and take Sarah from him. He refused to take anything from the spoils of the king so no one could say they made Abraham rich. He did not want to be in debt to anyone. Or owe any man anything, and here he is in this passage refusing to take a gift from the Hittites. And so he spoke unto Ephra- Ephraim in the audience of the people of the land, saying, "But if I will give it, I pray thee, hear me. I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead." Now, here he's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. By this time, Sarah could be buried. But no, he's continuing this negotiation process because he wants ownership, not usage. Ephraim see that Abraham is willing to pay for the land and is in a state of mourning, decide to sell Abraham the property at what appears to be an exorbitant amount of money. And I'll show you why I said that. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between us? Bury therefore your dead. Now, 400 shekels was a lot of money. And although we do not know the size of the field, Jeremiah bought a field for only 17 shekels, and it's using the same word because a field could be a territory, it could be a parcel of land, it could be a plot. We don't know the size, but in Jeremiah 32, 9, he says, And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him the money, even seventeen shekels of silver. And so when you deal with the shekel, it's actually a weight. There was weight in brass, in silver, and in gold. And so here he's saying, he weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balance. And if you read the passages that is following Jeremiah 32, 10, you see that he got a deed. He got a deed. And we're seeing that what Abraham is trying to do is, Abraham is trying to negotiate ownership with some kind of proof that he owned the property so no one can come later on and say he don't own it. And that's why you want a deed. Abraham did not counter the offer but closed the deal on the spot so that he could hasten to bury Sarah. Verse 16 And Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim, and Abraham weighed. To Ephron, the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth. So now he's got witnesses. He weighs the silver openly 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. So what does he got? He's got a contract, he's got a deal. In the property sale, Ephraim sells Abraham the field, the cave, the trees, and the borders here indicate a distinct property line. Now, those of you who buy property today, if you you were to go and buy a property, you want to know where your borders are. You need a survey for this property. And every time I've bought property, I get a survey. Because I want to know, and you'll see that the surveys will come out and they'll put stakes in the ground. They'll tie a little pink ribbon or red ribbon. They'll measure it. You can see your line. And see, even within the Torah, it's against the law to take a stake and move it. Because if you take a stake and move it, you just stole somebody's property. And so... Getting a survey and getting even a drawing of the survey so that you know your property line and distinct from others' property lines, so that when you even go to sell, if you decide you're going to sell, you know the exact borders of your property. What Ephraim is saying, because he only wanted a cave, but Ephraim is saying, no, you, you got to take all of this the field the cave, the trees, and the border. And so in verse 17, And the field of Ephraim, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in all the borders round about, were made sure. Any of you have ever bought a property, you'll know that when you buy a property Today in modern time, it's recorded. It's recorded in the treasurer or the office of the deed. And so not only do you get a copy of the deed, but it's recorded in the county registry. And what's interesting is if you live in the city of Charlotte, Your deed is recorded in Mecklenburg County. The way the political lines are drawn is that you have state property, you have county properties within the state, and then you got city properties within the county, and then you got township properties also within the county that is a little separate from the city. But in essence, the county owns the property. The county owns the property, the city owns the property, and the state owns the property. Not only do the county, city, and state own the property, but within there, the government seems to own a piece of it, which is why you got to pay all these people taxes. So you got to pay township tax, city tax, county tax, state tax, and federal tax. (laughs) Interesting. And when you record the property, it's in a parcel. And it even gives these numbers, and these numbers indicate the actual line. so when a surveyor comes out, before a surveyor comes out to survey your property, they go to the county and pull the records, (laughs) you see. And so I can take you to the property. I even learned since being here is... Is that the property line goes out into the middle of the street and that there are little nails or something that they pound in the street because you are now responsible for even though the sidewalk and the the land between the sidewalk and the curb, you don't own it. (laughs) but you're responsible for it. You got to mow it. The county forces you to mow its property that you don't own. <laughs> oh, man, it's a racket. It sure up is a racket. If you want to be your owner, you've got to subscribe to the racket, unfortunately. That word border, it says that We're in all the borders round about because here's what you're not going to find in this passage. You're not going to find deed. You're not going to find where they recorded anything, but the language is there. And if you look up the words, this word border here is territory enclosed within a boundary. So the borders there is that this, this land has some boundaries. It's not just a cave, but there's the land around it. And within the land around it, if the trees that are inside this border, these are your trees, but the tree that's right outside the border is not your tree. <laughs> and so what is happening here is they have actually marked off the space, determined the borders and the boundaries, and they're saying, this is your territory. The real estate deal was made in the presence of the children of Heth with the exchange of money and the survey or marked and established borders declared under Abraham for possession in the presence of all the children of Heth or the children of Heth before all that was that went in and at in at the gate of his city. Heth nor his descendants could later declare the land was theirs for the deal was done and with witnesses at the city gate and borders established with the exchange of money to seal the purchase. Now, again, Abraham is buying land that father has given him, but he gave him the money to buy it. And the fact of the matter is, is that Abraham could not go in and take the possession of the property, even though father had gave it to him, because what that meant, that meant war. That would, that would mean he would be engaged in war. So now when he brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, he go before them and he gives them the ability. They now have to drive the people out of the land in order to take possession of it. And so we see two types of dispossession or taking possession. One type is you go and you buy it. The other is you have to drive out, even if I was to go over and drive those people out of their property next door, they call the police, <laughs> take me to court, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to go down to the county register, pull up a deed, Is <laughs> say, according to these records, sir, this property is theirs. <laughs> And honestly, this is one of the issues that is going on today in the Middle East. It's like, who owns the property? Israel is trying to lay claim to a piece of property that the British gave them possession of because they dispossessed the people who owned the land before them. But the Palestinians who lived there, is laying claim to the property too because of their rights by just living in the land all these years. And so the question is, biblically we know who father gave the land to, but the Balfour Declaration does not give Israel the right or the authority to drive the Palestinians out. So instead of driving them out, they're putting walls around the borders (laughs) that was given to them by the British. And by putting walls around the borders that was given to them by the British, they are isolating or locking out or, or squeezing out the Palestinians who lived in the land before Israel was given the land by the British, even settlements that belong to the Palestinians. And so these are the things that is going to usher in, you know, the, the millennial kingdom, if you would, but to lay claim to the land, they can only lay claim to the land that was authorized by the British. Even though they're saying father gave them the land and they can't drive out the people who live in the land because they don't have the authority to do that. After this, verse 19, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. In verse 20, the last verse, and the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Seth. And so as promised, what I wanted to do is just show you, this is Hebron modern day. And that area right there in the center is where this mosque is that claims to be the modern burial place of the cave of Machpelah in Hebron. And so what I'm doing is I'm starting from an aerial And then we're going to zoom in a bit. Here is a shot of the piece that is in the center of this picture. And you'll notice that one of the uh, features of Islam is round domes. As we looked at last week, the most recognized piece of land in Israel is the Dome of the Rock. What many people don't know is that the Dome of the Rock is a mosque. <laughs> it's controlled by Islam and it's on the Temple Mount, supposedly. And those of you who've been following, you will know why I say supposedly. Now, here's the building and what it looks like as people are coming in and, and leaving. And then on the inside of that space, the stairs seemingly is going down to the actual cave. And this is supposed to be. Now, some of the um researchers are saying that this is not the actual place, but this is the place that is designated. And some say this is the actual place. The challenge that we have is because of the the landscape and the control of the landscape and who owned it and when Israel has been we know that Israel went into captivity several times that the Babylonians, the Greeks, the um, Romans the Assyrians. And, and several other groups, the Ottomans, the Turks, owned the land and even the British up until it gave it to Israel in 1948 as a state. And I say this because when people go in and they do their excavation and they begin to try to identify where the ancient sites are in modern day. Now. When I first went to Israel, we were told that the holy sites that we were at were the actual holy sites. But then you get there, and in some places, if you bother to read the signs, the signs will tell you that this is a designated site. And then the third time I went to Israel, we had a a guide, and this person was supposed to be one of the best guides in the land. And he would tell us that the place that we're in is the place that has been designated. However, the actual place is about three kilometers that way. And it's like, well, if that's the actual place, why is this the designated place? Many of the, of the pilgrims or, or Christians or people who go to the, the land of Israel and they wanted to be baptized in the place where Jesus was baptized. The place that people get baptized at in Israel is about 90 kilometers from the actual baptism in the Jordan, where John was actually baptizing. People are getting baptized in Galilee when John was baptizing people near Jerusalem. So one of the reasons why they weren't baptizing in the actual places because of the conflict between Jordan and Israel. The Jordanians actually controlled that particular area, and it wasn't open up for people to be baptized in, so they made a designated place where Israel controlled, and this was the place they're saying this is the actual baptism of where Jesus was, But the sign there in Hebrew, if you could read it, (laughs) tell you this is not the actual site. It's a designated site. And you've got these places all over the land because it is a tourist trap for the most part. And then the holiest sites, Israel owned during the Six-Day War. They actually, I believe it was the Six-Day War, took control of the Temple Mount but then gave it back. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, is that the people who are running or controlling Israel are Zionists and Zionists is not a religion. Zionists is a political arm. They care less about religious and holy. It's all about politics. And believe it or not, religion has become political even to this day. So I wanted to bring these images out in case you ever go. This particular area is in areas that are controlled by the Palestinians. And it's interesting how the Israel tour companies and the Palestinian tour companies have worked out a deal. If you've ever gone to Israel and you, drive, you ride an Israeli bus, you go to a line and everybody have to get off the Israeli bus, cross the line and get on a Palestinian bus... <laughs> the Palestinians and many of the Israelis get along well it's the politics the politicians that have divided the people in the land just as the politicians in America has divided people between Democrats and Republicans but anyway, enough about that thank you for listening to our podcast today you can find more inspirational teachings and download our free eBooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.